Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast about the families all over the world who love someone with Rett Syndrome. If you follow any Rett Syndrome families on Instagram, you most likely already know Charlie and Olivia, Cora Foster's four-year-old twins with Rett. I had such a great time catching up with Cora, finding out about baby Madeline and their decision to add to their family after their double diagnosis. We ended up talking about so many other things like mental health, positive mindset, and what her girls are experiencing with Rett syndrome. Here's my chat with Cora. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast, Cora. I am such a big fan of your Instagram and the way you use it to bring awareness to Rett syndrome and your girls, Charlie and Olivia. I think with social media, especially Instagram stories, it's such a great way to invite people into our lives. Have you found that people have been learning about RET by following along with you? Hi, well, thank you so much for for having me. I was really excited to do this podcast and and talk to you for the first time, besides best year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yes, to answer your question, um, I decided to start the Instagram account uh, kind of as a way to work through the feelings uh, that come along with being newly diagnosed and it really was kind of an outlet for me to talk about what's going on with the girls. And I actually started it when we were still awaiting the genetic results. Mm. So it really served as a way to kind of reach out with the community and see if I could connect with other RET families and doctors and therapists. And it kind of just started off as a a way to get more resources. Mm -hmm. And it quickly turned into um, this platform of just connecting with everybody and kind of sharing our experience um, and how, you know, navigating through those first few months of, of being diagnosed. And yeah, I think that it's kind of served as a, a resource for other families and other therapists and doctors and, and everybody in the community to just learn a little bit more about our side of things and our experience with Rett syndrome. Because I think sometimes you have Q&As. Did I see, was it yesterday or the day before that people were asking you questions about Rett syndrome or was it about your girls? Or That was, okay, so we've been interviewing, our, our nanny has been with us for a yeah. year and a half. And she's leaving, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to find a new one, have to. We're in the process right now. And I was just asking our viewers, since, since a lot of followers have been following us since the beginning, mm-hmm. I said, you know, what kind of questions should we ask our nanny in the interview? You know, this is a group oh, effort. Sometimes I, don't, <laughs> I don't think, but, you know, finding a caregiver for, for your daughter that has Rett syndrome, let alone two, is, it's mm-hmm. a big undertaking. And I trust, you know, our followers to know us really well and to help me with stuff like that. So that's another way that it's a great resource. We can <laughs> directly ask our community things like that. Yeah. I'm not a really, I'm not a natural kind of Instagram kind of person. I've got to kind of push myself to do it. And I only really just started talking like on live on it or stories on it this year, because I figure people like to connect that way through Instagram stories. They want to know about you and they want to know about your family and how you deal with things because it is a different world, especially if you haven't had a child or anybody in your life with a disability. It is a great way to kind of show people a little bit because I'm sure you're keeping a lot of things off it too. There's not every single thing is on there. Yeah, no, um, my husband has to yell at me to get off most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Stop <laughs> doing what are you doing? But you know, that's the thing too, is we, we try to show kind of a balance of the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time it's, it's good that's happening. It's really rare that there's a really bad moment that, you know, I want everybody to see the realities of Rett syndrome, but I also don't want, to be this, mm-hmm. you know, 
just Over, sad yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't want to be an overshare and I don't want to scare people. You know, a lot of newly diagnosed families follow us. Like that's kind of, they find us pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I don't want to overwhelm them, but yeah. And it, it has to be a balance too, because on one hand, you know, you don't want to make everybody think that it's all easy and it's all cute and yeah, you know, it's fine, <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes that I'm sure that you keep off and that I keep off and that others don't post. And for moments like that, like I won't show a meltdown, but maybe I'll say today has been a rough day or yeah. you know, I won't show that the girls are constipated, but I might say that they are, you know, there's a lot of just yeah. things. You know, and I think that's day. really a good thing for, for you to do, like as a kind of like a wrap up later on too, because one, that you're getting out all those feelings and two, you're, you're educating people on how the day actually was because they might think, oh, no, she's fine and everything was cool. But actually, these are the things that came up today and every single day there's something. Yeah, there's yeah. something. And if I don't do a story for like half a day, it's there's usually a reason and it's usually because yeah. we're having a rough day and I don't really feel like sharing. Um, no. I'll, I'll let them know, you know, it hasn't been a good day or we've been busy doing this or I, I like some privacy also. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and yeah. also for the girls too. I found that as my kids got older, I kind of left them off my Instagram a lot. Like my oldest son is 12 now and yeah. he's been able to tell me, you know, I don't like having my picture taken and things. And yeah, totally fine. I think there's that level of, what's the word for it? consent so it's for for i mean it's different for neurotypical obviously where he's able to my son's able to express to me that he doesn't want to share this or please keep it off in a way we have to do that for our girls and boys with Rett syndrome because they might not be able to verbally express that to us so we have to be kind of responsible for their privacy so back to your girls charlie and olivia are identical twins with Rett syndrome what kind of symptoms were you seeing in the beginning and was it happening at the same time in the same way with both girls? So um, all of their milestones when they were like in their first year and then up to two years, all their milestones were slightly delayed. Um, and our pediatrician at the time told us this is normal. They were twins. They were born four weeks early. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have any NICU time. They were perfectly healthy as far as we knew. Um, so we just blamed their delayed development and milestones on them being twins. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really around, um, they stood up for the first time and I have it on, I have it as a save video on Facebook and it's my favorite video ever. It's when they first stood up and they both stood up on the very same day at the very same moment outside. Oh, wow. <laughs> I happened to have my phone with me and saw they were trying to stand up and I filmed it and it was, it's the best video. I'll, I'll share it with you. Okay. Um, but that was 18 months old and I realized like, was searching online when do kids stand up and I became aware that they were just not, they were just really behind. Um, and then they started having, they had a few words like mama, dad, dad, duck, duck was their first word and a few other words. Um, and they only said them for about a month. And then one day I remember thinking they haven't said any words in days. And that was really the first time that I thought, okay, not only are they delayed, but like it's moving backwards, it feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that's when I brought up our concerns to the pediatrician. And she, again, was basically saying, this is fine. Don't worry. And I said, no, something's wrong. Something's up. And it was, uh, they started 
early, so in, in the U S they have a thing called early intervention. You, I don't know if any of the other moms have told you about it, but mm-hmm. it's just therapy that you start, um, around 18 months old. If your child is delayed in, in one of several areas and they were, so they ha- started this therapy program and they just weren't having any improvements. So mm-hmm. I actually told our pediatrician, I said, I want to see a specialist cause I know that something's, something's up. And then we saw the specialist and immediately she diagnosed them with autism. And that was, that was actually more of a shock than, than getting the diagnosis of Rett syndrome. Cause it was the first time we were told that something was wrong. Right. Something was not typical with our kids. Um, and it was kind of just confirmed. So that was pretty devastating at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we just waited another, she, so our specialist said she also wanted to test for something called Rett syndrome. And right. she said, don't Google it. Uh, she, they probably don't have it, but, uh, they are displaying some hand movements that are synonymous, synonymous with, uh, with this disorder. Mm-hmm. And of course I researched it to death and joined mm-hmm. the Facebook group and learned all about Rhett. And I was convinced that they had it and all the little symptoms that they were showing, starting to show, uh, just lined up perfectly. And it was six weeks after that, that we found out that they, that they were positive for Rhett. Wow. So just going back a little bit, when they were diagnosed with autism, how old were they? Uh, 27 months. 27 months. And did that diagnosis kind of sit with you? Because I've talked to a couple of the mums and they've, you know, received the autism diagnosis. We did too. And we, we were, I guess we didn't feel like that was it. Yeah. And then they started the DNA testing after that. So did you kind of feel like this is not autism? I really didn't know what to expect um, going into seeing the specialist. I, well, I take that back. I think we did discuss autism, um, but I knew it was really rare for girls to have autism and then it was yeah. usually another explanation. Yeah. Um, but I'd never heard of Rhett and I never, it never even crossed my mind um, to mm. look for that. I really was just thinking it could be severe autism, but I don't know the different types. Like, I don't know. I think part of me was just really wanting her to say that it was a twin thing and they would outgrow mm-hmm. it. But once I started, once she brought up the whole Rett syndrome thing and I started researching that with autism, I knew it wasn't autism. I knew yeah. that it was more than that. It when it was, I mean, it was just so obvious once we started researching all the things they were doing with their hands and the regression of language. And so, yeah, no, the autism diagnosis did not, um, not but yeah, no, but for insurance purposes, it was really nice at first because the benefits, at least in the States, the benefits for autism and therapy and all that, um, was just better than rare disease. So, yeah, and that's the case with, with our, what happened to us too. We were able to, um, once we got the autism diagnosis, we were able to get into services and she got into a really good um, autism specific uh, preschool. And she was there for a little while until we got our Rett syndrome diagnosis. And luckily we were able to stay even though she wasn't autistic. So it did open up avenues to us while we waited for that DNA testing. So yeah, not a bad thing. It just wasn't the right thing for us. Right. How long did the process take? Did you say it took a few weeks to get the results back? It did. It actually took almost exactly six weeks. So mm. our, our developmental specialist used a, a company out in California, Invitae, Invitae Labs, mm-hmm. and they did saliva. So our girls hate getting their blood drawn. Oh. 
And they said that they had a, and I, I asked all the rep moms, you know, um, about testing and everybody did blood. And I'm like, that's weird because we did saliva and they just sent you a kit in the mail and then we swabbed their mouths, um, and sent it off. And six weeks later, our doctor called us. And I I do remember you posted a video of getting the diagnosis. You're in the car. Yeah. I remember that perfectly. You know, what's weird about that day? Mm. We went to occupational therapy that morning mm-hmm. and we knew that we would be getting the call. It was like a Friday and we knew we'd be getting the call on Monday because um, our results showed up online, but the doctor had to read them first mm-hmm. and then call us, but it said they were ready. So we were just waiting for her to call us. And we had gone to therapy that morning and at therapy, we met another rat family. Oh, in wow. town. Like we saw this family walk in and I looked at pray and I, I my husband and I said I think that girl has rat syndrome and he's like you're being paranoid what are the odds of that like you're just thinking about it so much that you're seeing it now and yeah. it's not even like no look she's wringing her hands like she's doing all the and then I introduced myself to the family and turns out she did have rat syndrome they live down the street from us oh my um and yeah we're we're good friends to this day but on the way home from that therapy is when the doctor called us and that's what I put on Instagram. And the reason I filmed it is because I knew if she said it was positive that I wouldn't hear anything else that she said. Like I wouldn't be paying attention. I'd probably just be upset. And I was, I don't even remember having the conversation. Like I just blocked it out, but I do have that video. How did you guys handle that diagnosis? To be honest, I think at that point, since we had waited six weeks to, to find out, um, we'd done all the research in sick food. Mm-hmm. We knew all about rat syndrome. <laughs> we had connected with families. I we'd obsessed over it for six weeks and we were pretty certain that that's what it was. So when we actually got the phone call, it was kind of a relief because we had been searching for an answer for so long that it, it would be validation. Like we know what we're dealing with. It would be devastating, mm-hmm. but we already kind of knew that it was because of all yeah. the things we're going through. So we'd come to terms with that. Um, so really those six weeks between the autism diagnosis and the RET diagnosis was like just solidifying that it was RET and kind of preparing ourselves emotionally for that diagnosis. And it felt like a relief at the time. And it was also devastating. It was everything. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of things to process in one, yeah. one phone call. And how did your family take the diagnosis as well? Um, I think that they took it, they took it a lot harder. I mean, mm. they weren't preparing like we were for weeks for that news. Mm. Uh, we, we kind of shielded that them from that. Uh, we said we're, you know, it's autism, but we're looking into some other things. Mm-hmm. So I actually don't even think we, we mentioned Rett syndrome, uh, until we got diagnosed. So, uh, yeah, they were, they were shocked and, you know, when we started describing the prognosis of Rett syndrome to them compared to autism, because autism is a spectrum. It mm-hmm. can really be fine news or not great news. With Rett, it's pretty much not great yeah. news. Um, so they were, so they'll never be able to use their hands. Like, you know, there's a lot of questions. Like that, so they were pretty devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard for them. Yeah, and I imagine it maybe still is. Um, I think in our case that it took a long time for my parents to come around, even though they were both nurses and they knew about Rett syndrome. I think part of them still wanted to believe that they would 
just learn to talk eventually or learn to hold things eventually. And it's, and it's hard for the grandparents and the aunts and uncles in our lives. It is. Um, yeah. My mom still buys presents uh, for them that require hand use. And, yeah. you know, I, I have to remind her that this is a nice thought, but we're trying to work on things that, yeah, it's a tough conversation because they want, you know, and part of it is the more therapies you do and the more, the areas that you work on, there can be a little bit of improvement or at least retaining skills. Mm-hmm. But I think my, my family has held on so hard to the, they just need more therapy. They need, they need to practice. They need this. And like, mm-hmm. you gotta be a little bit, you have to balance being hopeful and, and wanting to retain those skills with also being realistic and understanding the course of the disorder. Yeah. You know, so that's been a tough balance for, for our family and for us sometimes too. And we, you know, we get really excited when they do things that aren't, typically expected and we I think we get overly excited and you know expected again and it doesn't happen and you feel almost disappointed and it's just this roller coaster of being able to do things and then not and then yeah yeah and I think that we all wanted the best for our kids um no matter what so that like you said the balance between you know being really hopeful and being really you know encouraging and positive about everything but then you need to be realistic in some ways that you know maybe it doesn't last maybe it does last it'll be awesome but it really is a roller coaster and roller coaster was one of the word um one of the names that was almost the name of the podcast because it really is a roller coaster right roller coaster yeah it is it's always up and down there's always something going on and you're you're either screaming or laughing (laughs) yeah pretty much There's not a lot of them between. No, no, on that roller coaster. How are the girls doing today? They're they're doing all right. They're doing good. So Olivia just had her G tube placed about seven weeks ago, and that that was a rough uh, first month with healing and all that. We had some issues with that, but now it's good, and she's gained four and a half pounds. Wow! And we've noticed a huge difference in her energy level, and just just her overall, she's just more perky and she's, she just seems like she's getting everything she needs now, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are Olivia or Charlie will be having her surgery October 3rd. So soon. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go through that again. And by the time the holidays roll around, we will be fine <laughs> and we'll be used to the G tube and everything will be better and um we just need to get over that little hump but other than that they're doing great they're in their second year of preschool they love school they love being around other kids um this last summer we had a splash pad installed in our backyard yes um, yeah make a wish foundation uh the nonprofit here in the states they granted her that wish and it is just so much fun olivia is obsessed with water so that's been our little you know, gift that keeps on giving for the whole family forever and ever. <laughs> they yeah. love that. But oh, yeah, over- that. That's amazing. Like the, um, a lot of the girls and boys do like water. Does Charlie like water? Um, so Charlie likes the pool, but not water splashing in her face. <laughs> They're yeah. very different. You know, Charlie, we went to a trampoline and Louie was in heaven. Mm. Um, she likes the active stuff and, and being around chaos. And Charlie really doesn't. She likes this watch her watch her cartoons and be read to and play dress up but just like low-key things mm. and Olivia's just our wild one like she <laughs> cannot still and does not want to listen to a book and <laughs> they're just really different 
and that's the funny thing too about about Rhett is that some people are always asking uh you know I've noticed Rhett families are always asking well what what are your symptoms and and what is her what are their deletion or what is their what is the mutation yeah and I'm like mm-hmm. I don't think it really matters because my daughters have the exact same mutation and they are different not even personality yeah. wise but symptom wise they're so yeah. different well, that's yeah. what I've been saying, yeah, to everybody. And I, I know, eventually what you might do is you look up your mutation and you ask the group, who else has got this mutation and what are they like? And I've actually been able to talk to, or through Messenger, two other parents with the exact same as mutation as Jovi, completely different, you know? Yeah. So it, it doesn't come down to the mutation. It's good to know it, good yeah. to have it around, but they're so different. Like overall generals, like... When I say they're very different, I, it's because their personalities and their their symptoms. But mm. I guess in like a like an overarching general mm. way, they are kind of similar. Um, one thing that we have noticed is Olivia always experiences the new symptoms of Rhett six months to a year before Charlie. So everything mm. that she's gone through, like when she started doing the hand stuff, six months later, Charlie started. It looked different, but it was this, it's in the same progression. Yeah. So Olivia started breath holding, um, and six months later, Charlie started, but she didn't start breath holding. She started with hyperventilating. Um, oh, okay. So issues started, and then six months later. So Charlie still follows the same path. I don't know if that's just Rhett syndrome in general or if it's just our girls or what, but the, she's followed the same path. It just looks different. What kind of challenges do the girls have at the moment? Um, the challenges, Charlie has some issues with eating. Um, that's, yeah, that's kind of the big, the big thing for her right now. Um, they're both having some balance issues. So they're both mobile and they get around usually fine, but they've just kind of had issues with switching from one surface to another so tripping and falling at school, um, probably at least once a week, we get some kind of note or a phone call about that they fell. Everything's okay. It hasn't been serious yet, but that seems to be the only real issue that they're dealing with that and, and eating. But other than that, they're, they're pretty good right now. That's awesome to hear. Um, what, what kind of things do they like doing? I think you've already mentioned the water yeah. um, being something good. Are they into anything else at the moment? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, water is a big thing for Libby. Anything active, trampoline jumping. She, we have a trampoline in the backyard. She loves that. Charlie's the dress up girl and she loves story time and she's more of the affection. Well, they're both pretty affectionate. They're like cuddling on the couch and they just love attention. (laughs) Yeah. So once a week they go to a dance class that is for special needs children and they have a volunteer that they work with and they just kind of try different movements with them. It's kind of a rumble tumble class. They help them do somersaults and things like that. And they just love being around other kids that are really active. Also, mm. that's something once a week that they, that they really enjoy. Oh, so, yeah. Cool. I love animals too. Animals, any kind of animal visiting them, riding them, petting them. They love it. <laughs> have they tried horse riding before? They have, and they love it. But unfortunately, well, actually, they're four now. We really started getting into the horseback riding idea when they were three, but not a lot of places accept them yeah. to ride until they were four. So now that they're four, we can <gasps> start doing it. <laughs> yeah. And find a place that we'll, that we'll let them. Going back to after they were diagnosed with red, you posed a question in the Red Syndrome Facebook group about adding to your family and having another child. 
how did how did Rett syndrome affect planning for more kids? Um, yeah, gosh, I remember it. It was a really, it was that was the hardest decision I think I've ever had to make in my life. Um, well, mm-hmm. as a as a couple together, that was the mm-hmm. hardest because you know when you have kids, you kind of picture it going a certain way, and you mm-hmm. picture siblings and and the relationship that they'll have with, with their siblings a certain way, mm-hmm. and with the whole Rett syndrome diagnosis, it just threw a kink in everything. And for the first year of diet, I mean, actually they just had their two year on September 15th this past um, weekend. It has mm-hmm. been two years since diagnosis. So the mm-hmm. first year was really regression for us. And the thought of another child was absolutely not anywhere yeah. in our minds. Like we couldn't even get through the day, like not planning for the future, which is not a thing mm-hmm. for the first year. And I think once things started calming down with their regression and it started leveling out a little bit, um, I remember the conversation that I had with, with my husband about, you know, are we crazy for thinking, are we, am I even, am I nuts for bringing up wanting to have another kid or, and he said, give me a couple months. Like, let's just <laughs> yeah. Getting better now, ask me again in a few months. He wasn't ready to answer that. And I don't really think I was either. Um, but no, the hands are full. And when you get the diagnosis, you realize that they're probably going to be full for a long time, if not forever. Mm-hmm. So it just changes your perspective on what you can handle. And I think the moment that we decided that another sibling would be good for us and good for the girls, it would always be hard. We knew that, but we'd already like gone through the worst storm ever yeah. that we figured let's let's look for the good in this and realize that the bad will just happen and we're just going to have to deal with it because it'll be worth it. Yeah. So I think that that started to happen um, four or five months before we got pregnant and we, we decided that we think it would be good for the girls and, and we wanted them to have that sibling because they did so well around typical kids yeah. and they just flourished when other kids were playing with them and it just helped their mood. And we wanted something we wanted something besides Rett syndrome. It had consumed our lives. Both of our daughters had it. It was the only experience that we've had experience so far. And we mm-hmm. wanted that typical experience. And I, you know, I felt really selfish for saying that out loud and for having those feelings and wants. I wanted that typical experience and I felt so horrible for, you know, I didn't I didn't want my daughters to think or anyone to think that um ugh, that I, it wasn't enough with my girls because it was. Right. We just, you know, we just we just wanted that experience, and and once we accepted that that was okay to want that, and it was okay for us to want that for the girls and for them to have that relationship, we decided to try. And second month in, didn't know what happened that fast, but <laughs> and 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 we got pregnant, and yeah, it's been a crazy ride ever since then. On just on making decisions to have a, a child in the first place, I don't think there's ever a good time. Like there's never the right time. It's yeah. it's kind of like it's always going to be busy, especially with kids with special needs and, you know, two kids with special needs. There's always going to be an excuse. I think that it, there comes a time where you just need to make a decision on can, can I handle adding more love into my life right now? Yeah. And you've just, if you can and if you're able and you want to, you, sh- you just got to do it because, like I said, something will always come up and then that will be the excuse to not to do something. And 
for me personally, it's only been a blessing to have a baby after our Rett syndrome diagnosis. It's added more joy to our lives. And like you were saying, it's not the case of trying to forget about Rett syndrome or to replace what has been lost. It was more about, you know, what do we want for our family? And um, it's been the best decision for us. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny. We, <laughs> we thought we started thinking about whether we should do like a pros and cons list and realize <laughs> that was silly because we couldn't think of an actual like oh. reason besides I want to love something more to have a, a kid. And you can come up with a thousand reasons not to, mm. but the reason to do, it's just, it's just a feeling. And for us, it was just that feeling like we, we wanted, we just wanted to add to our family and there was really mm. no other like legitimate reason to, to do it. We just, we wanted that for our family and you know, yeah. And you find a way. I mean, I know it sounds, before before you add to the family, it sounds like a huge kind of thing. And it yeah. is a huge deal because, my goodness, newborn stage is like crazy and you, you know, sleepless nights and everything. But that will eventually, you know, go away and they'll grow up. And then you've got this awesome little family that you've grown and, you know, you don't regret a thing. Yeah, I think, I, I think to your point, it, everything's always such a big deal until you until you do it and then you don't really realize how strong you are until you start doing the thing that you fear or that you're so worried about and you're like this is not that big this is not that bad like if you told me five years ago that i would have two special needs kids oh and then i decide to have another one i'd be like you're crazy Mm -hmm. that's why would i ever want another kid if my hands are full and you know but it's not you you adjust humans are very adaptable creatures and Mm -hmm. I mean I'm tired majority of the time but I'm also like I I also have so many points of joy in my household and I you know I get to see three smiling beautiful faces every day and it is worth all the wrinkles and all the the cold brew and all (laughs) I mean it's worth it so yeah Yeah. and that's life and then you know how do you want to create your life and how do you want to spend the next you know 50 years of your life I would hope that I would not have any regrets, especially about having kids. And yeah. on the flip side, if you don't want to have a kid after Rett syndrome, that's totally yeah. fine too. That's totally fine too. <laughs> yeah. Understandable, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. It's busy and um, like we were saying before, Rett syndrome can be such a spectrum. So, you know, everybody's individual and has to make up their own individual mind about what they want for their family and what's best for their kids, their current situation and for them and for your mental health too, because like, it's not easy, it's, but it's doable if that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. yeah. And financially too. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. You definitely should mm. consider all those things also because it is a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. did you have a fear of having more kids possibly with Rett syndrome. And I know it's incredibly rare. I think the, um, the chances are, is less than 1%. But did yeah. you have that fear? Yes. Yeah, I did. It's hard because even though you say less than 1%, us as Rett parents know, like, yeah, but. It happened. Because <laughs> we were the statistic. We were yeah. the 1%. Like our kids were those. So yeah, I mean, I was really nervous about that. And I was even more nervous when we found out we were having a girl, um, mm-hmm. I remember we, we did early genetic testing in the womb. And so we found out at like 10 weeks that we were having a girl and we did all the basic genetic screening. I, it's actually kind of complicated. I thought that we were, we would find out if she had Rett syndrome in the womb. Turns out we did not do the correct kind of oh. test to find that out. And I found out that they didn't do the right testing 
a little too late to do it again. Mm. So it was a whole thing, but didn't have any other major chromosomal abnormalities, but mm-hmm. we did do testing as soon as she was born. Same company that we did with the girls. We did the, the saliva yeah. test, which is a lot harder to get on a newborn, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we did the same test and we found out within like three weeks because uh, it wasn't a busy time of year for them. I guess genetic testing is a lot busier around the holidays. So if you oh. wait to not do it around the holidays, you get your results a lot faster. Okay, good tip. Yeah, little little pro tip there. <laughs> so yeah, we got those results too quickly and uh, she did not have Rett syndrome, mm-hmm. but it was always a concern on my mind, even though the chances were rare. I mean, he just, once it happens to you once, you know that it's a possibility, so... Yeah, but I tried to remain yeah. realistic about it. You know, one in 10,000, it's not a, or whatever it was, 1%. I think it's, mm-hmm. the, same. it's the same chances of anybody else having a kid. That's right. Yeah. It's not a carrier. So I knew I was realistic about it, but still scary. Well, that's another question. Did you guys find out whether you were carriers for it? Did you have genetic testing yourself? I did. Um, I'm not a carrier. Trey was never, uh, the geneticist at the time didn't ask to test him. And she said that you could test the sperm, but each cycle or each, I don't know what the right word for it is, would be different. So even if he did show up positive for the mutation in one, yeah, he wouldn't in the next. So there'd be no way unless you did like artificial insemination or in vitro. Yeah. Uh, th- that's what she said. I don't know. I know that some other men have been tested, but um, yeah, we never, we never had him tested for that. Did yeah. you? Did you do? Yeah, for us, um, as soon as we got the diagnosis of Rett syndrome for Jovi, they sent us upstairs, and we both had blood tests the same day. So, um, okay. we're both not carriers. And interestingly, maybe it's not interesting. Maybe it's just to me. Um, Jovi and I have the same chromosome. I think I think it's a duplication. So chromosome ten. So we ruled that out um, as being an issue for us, just the Rett syndrome. But yeah, we were both tested as early on as we can, and we're not carriers. Your daughter Madeline is now how old? Almost eight months. She's almost. Oh eight really? Months. I was oh, going to say four. Yeah. Oh gosh, no, it's <laughs> that went by so fast. It did yeah. so fast. Um, how are you handling bringing up three girls? Oh man, it is not for the week. Uh, it. You know what's funny? She's actually harder than both of the girls, like both Charlie and Libby. <laughs> she's just she's crawling. She just started crawling. And that is just a game changer when they become mobile. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. Well, the first big one is when they start sleeping through the night and that just started happening not that long ago. Then crawling and she is using her hands, which sounds funny, but it's the weirdest thing because I will hand her something and she'll just immediately grab it. Like there's no delay in yeah. trying to process what I'm doing. Her hands work and, you know, as a rep mom, I, I just haven't seen reactions and reflexes like that in a while so it's a little trippy to see her kind of more advanced than than my four-year-olds in a lot of ways um at least seemingly that way you know Mm. but yeah how is charlie and libby with with their baby sister do they do they like having a baby around uh they do unless she's crying that can kind of upset them (laughs) sometimes uh charlie charlie likes her a lot she's just fascinated and just likes observing her she's kind of just figuring out how she's how she's working right now and olivia wants to play with her and she goes up and we're kind of having an issue where olivia tries to grab at madeline 
um, to be loving, but obviously it turns out that she's just grabbing her hair and it upsets the baby. So mm-hmm. we're trying to work that out and we keep joking that Madeline needs to toughen up because she's going to go through a lot of that in her life, yep. <laughs> which is true. But um, yeah, navigating a typical kid with, with special needs kids is, is really, it's just different. It's really, it's a wild ride. It's fun so far. <laughs> yeah. I do also compare, um, but I catch myself doing it and I have to literally talk myself out of, of it. And that, yeah. that whole, I mean, that way of thinking has really happened. Like I've had to talk myself out of having those, those kinds of thoughts, even with other kids. You know, I used to do the comparing thing a lot. Especially yeah. when they were first diagnosed. And with other rec kids too, typical kids and rec kids, like mm. how do they compare? What's the difference? And it just it took me to such a like dark headspace that I yeah. had to stop doing that because I would just go down the rabbit hole and it would never end. So I started doing that with Madeline and comparing and actually started getting those email updates from like babycenter.com yeah. and of like, this is what your baby should be doing. And I, I turned them off because I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I just, I can't even go there. I'll know if something's wrong. I'll know if she's delayed. I need to just go with it. Yeah. Um, Well, that's why I kind of didn't like baby books and those emails too. Didn't want them. And even um, left the mother's group I was with, with Jovi and with Miles, my little one, um, because the comparison and the, just the anxiety of like, yeah. why aren't they doing that? And the, you should be doing this right now. It's like, no, they're not. You can't really yeah. refer to a book or to milestones the same way. But uh, in the flip side, it teaches you to be grateful for all the things that they can do and what's happening yeah. right now. So, yeah. Okay. Mm. It's bitter. I mean, and, I, and I, I purposely choose to focus on the sweet instead of the bitter because it, mm-hmm. it can really eat you up. I mean, it, yep. you can stay in that negative space for a long time and it can just it just, I don't know, it ruins my day when I, when I do that. So I really try to change my thinking on that and just, yeah, it takes effort. It takes a hundred percent me trying to change. My yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. Like it takes a while to get to a place where you're like, Oh, yeah. okay. Wheelchair. That's all right. Or we just got a, a new chair here for home. I was like, I'm so excited for it. Whereas people might be like, Oh, that's a real bummer. Yeah yeah have all those things and i'm like no it's cool and even when we have to go to hospital for seizures and stuff it's sad and i think but i'm really grateful i'm grateful for the ambulance ride that they're here really quickly i'm grateful that you know we can go to hospital and stay there for a week and it's free like that's incredible i'm so grateful for it so you need to like flip the script flip the what you might be saying if it's not not serving you and not giving you energy from it you've got to kind of change it and it, yeah it takes a while to get to that spot and not everybody can do it and I could still be really negative but oh yeah um, me too. I mean it takes it took therapy for me therapy yeah. and and to be honest medication after Madeline I, yeah. I went on anti-anxiety uh, medication it was one of the best things I've ever done for myself yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, the anxiety just kind of takes over and it got pretty bad after um I mean I've always been a positive person but just the anxiety of the newborn and, mm-hmm. and the girl and the decision to, to start taking something to help like level everything out. And I'm open about, I can talk about, about this, no problem, but just the decision to start medication to help kind of just ease 
the anxieties, it was a really good decision for myself and for our family. And that in combination with therapy and really just being intentional about being more positive and not going to that negative space um, Mm -hmm. and just celebrating the little things, you know, like, like you were saying the chair and being grateful and Mm -hmm. you have to do that because it really is the little things for us when you're so used to just being beaten down by this disorder. If something good happens, it's like really awesome. It's like really, really good. So yeah, all that together has helped a lot. Yeah. And I hear you on the therapy. I'm going tomorrow. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, It just helps. Like I think there is still a stigma around medicine, like medication and therapy. Um, Cause I still don't even tell my mom I'm going to therapy. I saw my, I told my sister and I told my husband, of course, but you got to take care of yourself. And sometimes that is, you know, therapy. And sometimes that's, you know, medication for yourself because if you fall apart, it's no good. No, I'm yeah, no. If I fall apart, the whole family falls yeah. apart. Our girls take medicine for reflux and seizures. Yeah. You know, I'm taking medicine for my brain and my thoughts and I need it just as much as they need their medicine yeah. for their stuff, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What's a typical day like for you guys? Because I know you guys both still work. How do you manage the juggle of day-to-day life? Oh, well, our day starts early. We get up around 5.20, 5.30 in the morning. And Trey and I, it's like automatic. We have our duties. So baby's still sleeping for a while. We call our baby Madeline, still sleeping. Mm-hmm. We go in the kitchen and prepare their Olivia's feed. So get that ready to go um, on the, for the G-tube. And then we make Charlie's little concoction of juice, which has her magnesium in it, uh, which has helped a lot with constipation, a little bit of Miralax if she needs it and her multi- liquid multivitamin and get that ready to go. Go wake them up, change them, hook Livy up to her feed. Um, then I'll go make Charlie breakfast. Livy will have a little bit, but she's not been eating as much by mouth in the morning since getting the G tube. Mornings are hard for her to eat, but that's what we do for like, 45 minutes an hour. That's how long her feed takes. So we'll do that and then get the baby up, get her dressed and Trey gets ready while I finish Livy's feed and get the girls dressed for school. And then we sweat and he'll pack the girls lunch and get their backpacks and everything. Their Toby's ready for school and I'll get ready. And then we both leave the house around seven and go to work all day. And our nanny picks up the girls at two o'clock, brings them home, does a feed for Livy, takes them, uh, if it's Wednesday, they go to dance. If not, they just hang out at home. Um, and she kind of hangs out with them until we get home from work. And then the evenings are just as crazy and we're <laughs> feeding yeah. and doing it all over again. And we get some time oh. in there where we hang out with them and <laughs> just be for a little bit, but not really because they, they go to bed like an hour after we get home from work. So the weekends are really our time together. Other than that, it's just like, go, 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 go. Pretty full on. Yeah. Yeah. Full on. (laughs) (laughs) What's your hope for Charlie and Olivia? Oh, I hope that, I hope that they get to experience just as much, if not more joy. (laughs) Than ever than all the typical kids and than anybody, um, they deserve everything. They're such happy, joyful girls, and 
I just want them to have the same experiences and be exposed to the same things as, as everybody else. Yeah, just, I just want them to be happy and I want them to be treated equally with everyone. That's a big one, you know, in the, in the school environment and outside of school, I, I just want them to have the same opportunities um, as other children have. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I love that. I, I feel the same way. I just want them to feel included and part of the community rather than, than a problem or something yeah. different. I was going to say like, I don't want them to like suffer. And I, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't want for them, but what Absolutely. I do yeah. is, is happiness and, and peace. And, you know, I want, I want them to know that they are so much more than just Rett syndrome. You know, I think yeah. sometimes you get bogged down in talking about Rett syndrome so much. And mm-hmm. my, my dad actually brought up the other day, he said, you know, I think they're at the age where we should stop talking about Rett syndrome so mm-hmm. much in front of them. Like, they know that we're talking about them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. great. You should really stop doing that so much because there's so much more to talk about with them. Um, yeah. You know, and we talk about them a lot when they're around. Mm-hmm. And I need to do a better job of that. So you know, for them, I want them to know that they're more than, they're more than rat syndrome and they're more than this disease that kind of keeps them trapped, that, that we are trying to understand them and that we're fighting our hardest to understand them and, and to, to help ease their, their pain and their, the difficult things, you know, we're, we're fighting really hard. Our whole community is. Yeah. So I want them to, to know that, that they have a huge support system. Yeah. And I like that. I like Rett syndrome is a part of them and it's, maybe it's a bigger part than we would have liked, but it's just yeah. one part of them. There are also little girls and little boys that, you know, like things and want things and have an opinion and, you know, want to be silly and, you know, want to do things that other little kids want to do. So it's really important to let them be who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have Rett syndrome, but they're also, you know, funny and cute and all these other yeah. things. Some like water, some don't. Yeah, yeah. Some, like some don't. Libby hates princesses. She couldn't care less. Oh. <laughs> yeah, same with Jovi, I think. I don't think she's yeah. really into that. She likes Thomas. <laughs> I think it's called Thomas the Train over there, but yeah. she loves Thomas the Train. Thomas the Train. What is yeah. it about? Yeah, they love it. It's the song. I think she, Jovi, I could do a whole thing on theme songs with Jovi. Like I could oh. do one after the other and she would love yep. it just yep. the music and just also seeing the shows, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I really like the idea of not including Rett syndrome in every conversation that you have with them or around them. Yeah. Um, because on it. it's hard, but <laughs> it is hard. Yeah, it is hard because that's what all we think about sometimes as parents, that's yeah. what we're thinking about. Um, yeah. How is that going to affect everything? And, and it affects everything. Um, but then, Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a typical kid thing. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it has nothing to do with Rhett. I mean, that, that's what we have to remind ourselves too. I'm like, this is what a four-year-old would do. Like, that's yeah. what, that's how she'd act. You know, it's not a Rhett thing. It's just a four-year-old thing. Yeah. yeah. Four-year-olds. No. <laughs> Wait until they get older. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The attitude. <laughs> I already get the attitude. I can't yeah. imagine it. <laughs> it will get worse. But then that's that's the great thing about, you know, having kids is to see them go through all these stages of life that they would have without Rett syndrome anyway. 
you know, they're just living their life. Yeah. So the last question I had for you is what advice can you offer families about balancing their lives with Rett syndrome? Oh gosh. Um, take it one day at a time. You know, we, we were talking earlier about not worrying about the future problems mm-hmm. and just focusing on what you're dealing with currently. When the girls were diagnosed, we got a big Rett syndrome handbook. And like an idiot, I started reading it like a book. Like, oh, I'm going to read this whole thing. I'm going to be an expert. And I couldn't get past two chapters. And I said, you know, I can't. Mm-hmm. This is God. This is for life. For right now, it's for life. So we really just have to take this one, whatever we're dealing with, that one problem, let's work on it, figure it out, and then move to the next. So my advice would be don't try to take on the world. You know, when you're newly diagnosed too, you're, there's a lot of pressure to, to fundraise and to raise money and to, mm-hmm. it's just a lot to get all the right therapies and the right doctors. And it, it, there's a lot you have to do and you do have to do some of it, you know, mm-hmm. get the right doctors and all that stuff. But I think if you just come up with a plan and, and tackle a little bit every day, it doesn't seem so overwhelming. It can get very overwhelming very fast. Yeah. One day at a time. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, especially when you've had a few years experience in it, your hindsight is a really good thing and you can, yeah. you know, you know that not everything happens at once. The book that you were referring to, was it the one by Kathy Hunter? Was it the Rett syndrome handbook? I don't remember. I haven't looked at it in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really big one. I, yeah, put it yeah. away. I haven't looked at it since, honestly. Yeah, that's great because don't read the whole book. Don't, yeah. don't, don't sit down one day with your cup of tea and just start reading it. It's <laughs> the worst ever. <laughs> There is no point. I mean, it's a fantastic book. It's a really good yeah, resource. A reference, like an encyclopedia. But yes, a reference no, book. An encyclopedia. <laughs> it's not a storybook, you know. It's not right. something that you go, uh, my child is going to experience every single page of this book. I've got to read it and be an expert in every yeah. single thing. I think Gosh. it's really important to know that to not, and to not get overwhelmed with the whole spectrum that is Rett syndrome because there's so many things going on but you don't need to know everything. You need to know your child and you need to yeah. know what they need today. And everything else is a question mark. And unfortunately we cannot predict what's going to happen, not only in their lives, but our lives. The way that, you know, that I've learned to, well, I'm trying, still trying to do it is to not project so far into the future because it might not happen. And then you'll miss out what's happening today. You miss out the bad things, but you miss out a lot of the good stuff. There's a lot yeah. of good things happening right now that you need to, you know, sit in and enjoy or not enjoy, but you need to experience. Thank you so much to Cora for a fun and honest conversation about what their lives with Rett syndrome has been since their diagnosis. There was so much more to ask her about twins with Rett syndrome and all the things they've experienced, but you can follow their adventures on Instagram by following at Pink Puzzle Pieces. Remember to let people know about Remarkable. Share our Facebook and Instagram posts during October and beyond. Get in touch and let me know what you think about the podcast. Wherever you are in your Rett Syndrome adventure, or if you're listening to this podcast to learn more about the families living with Rett Syndrome, thank you for listening.